Whenever a new episode of This Developer's Life is published, I listen to it immediately. This was not a case with the last one. It just made me angry. I gave up few minutes before its end. A few days later, I saw a tweet from a guy stating that, although not a fan of the podcast, he loved the episode. I used his tweet, inverted his words, and said that, although a big fan, I think the last episode was crap. Ouch. Uh, the mental weight of this is literally crashing. That's in, that's not just regular criticism. That's that's you're enjoying yourself at that, that point. That quote gave me a migraine. We had to stop, and I had to go and have a drink, and you know, just rest my eyes. <laughs> they say a man is what he does. So if what you do is crap, what does that say about you? Do you suck? No? Are you sure? Programmers are wound pretty tight already. We take a great deal of pride in the code we write and the work that we do. But if the work that you do gets criticized, are you not good at your job? I started feeling really good about it. You know, he's complimenting me. I'm feeling good about you know, how I did and all of that. And then he follows up with, but it's not you. Criticism is the topic of today's This Developer's Life, stories of criticism, folks who criticize, and folks who've been criticized. But most importantly, what did they decide to do about it? Will you let criticism change your behavior? Will you suck? Or will you suck less? This week on This Developer's Life. This Developer's Life is brought to you by CodeRush for Visual Studio. We appreciate their support. With Consume First Declaration, powerful templates, smart selection tools, intelligent code analysis, innovative navigation, and an unrivaled collection of visual refactorings all working together, your development productivity will increase dramatically. Get CodeRush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash CodeRush. Just the name Allende Rahim strikes fear in the hearts of programmers everywhere. If this guy gets you in his sights, he will reduce you to ash. It's one thing to criticize people without basis. But if you actually know what you're talking about, and you have no problem telling people your opinion, well, you're a double threat. Allende talks big, but he can back it up, and we all learn. So, Oren, I've been reading your blog lately, and there's been a couple of times I've noticed you picking a project and mm -hmm. basically ripping it open. <laughs> like, I think it was recently you took some CodePlex project and mm -hmm. you, you kind of, you weren't mean, but you didn't go out of your way to be nice. You know, it was basically like, hey, I'm looking at this project. I don't know this guy. I don't know these people. And here's 20 reasons why it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, the actual story behind... These sets of posts is actually uh, pretty interesting. Um, I was teaching a, a class about uh, in Hibernate, and it it was my advanced class, so 
part of the time we spend, you know, just talking about, okay, here are the features, and part of the time, part of the time we're actually talking about, okay, let's take a look at, uh, let's review some code, and let's see what are the things that are bad in it. And I basically ask all of the people in the class, okay, give me some names of uh, open source projects using Mohammed, and we can review them uh, live. And that would give you the tools, you know, to be able to go back to you, your application and figure out what you're doing wrong. The interesting bit is that one of the uh, criticisms that was pointed at me was that uh, this, one of the uh, uh, code bases that uh, I was reviewing was actually written by a, by a student, someone in a university as part of a school project. The interesting bit is that uh, I wouldn't have believed that because I've seen code exactly like that in many, many places in enterprise application, in big companies, in small companies, anything from, uh, you know, the most uh, on the edge startup to Fortune 500 companies that does things by rolling out once every two years. Once I realized that this is literally uh, an open source project that uh, shows literally shows how uh, many projects are actually being built, I decided that this would be a good opportunity to literally sit down and break down all of the things that I didn't like about all of those projects. Because if someone comes to me for a code review and I, you know, I spent two days just going over the things that are on in the application, but I cannot publish that so other people will benefit from that. When you have an open source project, well, you can do that. I was, actually I think I was very careful about saying what I don't like in the code versus saying what I don't like about the people who wrote that. I get a picture in my mind about what a person looks like on Twitter and their blog. I read their voice, and I imagine that there's some skinny, pasty programmer in his mom's basement out there criticizing my code. That's not the case with Allende. Not only does he talk big, he is big. He was a commander in an Israeli jail. He's all of 6'5", 250, huge, in your face. Whether you're reading his blog or he's towering over you, you'll feel the weight of his words and what he has to say. It's intimidating, to say the least. And there are problems with the codes. And I'm looking at I'm looking at those sort of things. I'm saying, okay, this is wrong. Do you? How do you separate the person from the code? I mean, I could imagine myself as a young person reading your blog, and if I saw that you decided to review my application, I would maybe I would cry. <laughs> okay, uh, Scott. If I tell you that, um, okay, here's a very simple example. Okay. Uh, if I tell you that a demo that you do is unrealistic and uh, it's going to mislead people, that is a professional criticism on a piece of work that you're doing. If I tell you that uh, uh, that you're stupid, that is a, uh, that is a personal criticism and in probably insulting. That is how I make the distinction talking about a a piece of code, talking about an architectural decision, and talking about the people behind that decision. But aren't we extensions of our code? We are extensions of our actions. I mean, people always say that 
talk is cheap, show me the code. And we also have the saying that uh, actions speak louder than words. If a person does a stupid thing, how do you separate the person from the thing? Uh, very easily. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, if, I, if I sat you down, I made you draw a picture of a house, like using pen and paper and crayons or whatever. And then I took that piece of paper and I sent it to the Guggenheim Museum for, uh, uh, for it to be criticized. I presume, at least, I haven't seen you draw, that they would laugh it out of the museum. Is this a correct assessment? It's, it's, it's possible that it may. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, they, obviously, they might decide that this is the next thing in modern art, but we leave that aside. Uh, now... Would you be offended that uh, your drawing isn't considered to be equivalent to Van Gogh? No, because I don't want to be a professional artist and get paid for it. But okay. if I was a starving artist and truly mm. believed in my heart of hearts I was good, I would, be, I would be sad because it's like a person who wishes that they were a great basketball player and they try out and they try out and they can't get it. And the coach says, you know, son, it's not going to happen for you. Yeah. You need to pick a new thing. You're five foot ten? No, you're five <laughs> foot one? It's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the main thing is that uh, I'm focusing on a single aspect in, usually in those, in those code reviews, I'm focusing on a single aspect in the application. In the reviews that we were talking about, I was focusing on a data access. But the application isn't a data access. It's not just that. Think about that. Uh, uh, in just about 90% of the cases, most of the errors that they find are related to a, a SQL statement being generated from the view. So this is incredibly common. And one of the reasons that uh, uh, this is happening is that when you're working on the view, when you're working on the system architecture, when you're working on that or that or that, you tend to be focused on a single item at a time. So when I'm working on the user interface of the system, what I'm actually going to do is to, uh, is to try to create a good UI, try to, you know, uh, put down corners somewhere, and all of these sort of things. The last thing on my mind, most of the time, is, okay, does this piece of HTML generate, an, generate a SQL statement? You see where I'm going in? Mm -hmm. So, and that is a, a, one of the problems when you start talking about, okay, so uh, I'm criticizing this and uh, I might have criticized it and said that this is a wrong way of doing something. But I don't consider it to be the whole thing. Just to give you some idea, uh, in all of my applications, I put a circuit breakers inside the application. So when I'm doing something, so when I'm doing something stupid, not if, when I'm doing something stupid, the system will detect that and warn me. I actually have a good blog post. Uh, it is called Shocking Rob Conry. And that is, I think in 2007, I had a long argument with Rob about using an RMS or not. And in that blog post, we are, uh, I actually show a message that says something like, only 30 queries are allowed for this, uh, for a, a web request, but 743 queries were executed. 
please fix this. piece of code that I wrote in a, a system that I control throughout. Uh, and one of the reasons that uh, I don't feel uh, any problems in saying that something is wrong is that, well, it is wrong. It is going to be wrong. I don't care who is writing that. Because if I, who is doing data access uh, reviews basically every week, and who can't look at a piece of code without actually considering ramification because I've been living and breathing that stuff for years, uh, uh, can make those sort of mistakes than anyone will. Mm It got to the point in one of my classes that it says, okay, what is the next application? And I look at the code and it was complicated and it really annoyed me. You know, it's like the sixth application that we're reviewing today. So I told them, okay, let's just find the select, the select M plus one and then we just get out of here. I don't care to do, to do a review of this code. And they started laughing. And I says, what's so funny? He says, you just said, let's find the problem. You don't know if there is a problem. Uh, and then I told them, well, you know what's happened? Every single application that I saw had at least one uh, selector plus one problem. Down to the simplest, most trivial application possible. So if every single application out there, mm -hmm. or the vast, vast, vast majority of them, are, f are, are failing, and they're using your library to do it. Oh, snap. Good one, Scott. That is actually an interesting question. The problem with Select M plus one isn't because of uh, an hibernate or uh, anything of the sort. Select M plus one is actually a problem that occurs everywhere. As a typical example, it took me, uh, I was watching the light switch uh, launch video. And during the launch video, just from, you know, the blurry uh, 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 screenshot that I saw on the 640 by 480 video, I was able to detect that they had a selected plus one issue inside the architecture. Selected plus one is basically an issue of modeling your data correctly. Damn, that was a good answer. It's not an issue about this or modatorum. Just to give you some idea, um, Uncle Bob, you know him? Yes, Uncle Bob Martin. Okay, yeah. So he wrote clean code. Uh, in one of his examples about how to write clean code, he showed an example of how to do a select N plus one. Literally, literally that. Okay? So we're talking about someone who is very, very good and a book about best practices. And he shows uh, accidentally, presumably, how in a, a how a show an example where he's actually doing a selective placement. Uh, in RavenDB, I should jump in here for those who are not aware. RavenDB is a document database, kind of like CouchDB, if you're familiar with that. 
written entirely in .NET by Allende because he wanted one. Specifically, I've decided that, uh, so here's the problem. You said, can I make people fall into the pit of success? And with a lot of those libraries, I don't control them. I mean, trying to add something like that to in Hibernate, it's actually fairly easy. And I have blog posts detailing how to do that. The problem is that in order for you to be able to do that, you have, you're probably going to have to break people uh, software. With RavenDB, because it is new, I actually decided to make it safe by default from the get-go. So with RavenDB, if you actually try to do stuff like that, it, you know, you have some leeway, but if you pass the default limits, it's actually going to tell you, look, you are making too many queries to the database. This probably means that you're doing it wrong. Here, uh, here are the options for fixing that. And if you're absolutely convinced that this is the right thing to do, here is how you can disable this warning. Did you create the profiler tool for Hibernate as a way to get around to get around this issue of all these people using the product incorrectly? Yes. Um, at least one of those. The actual reason that they created the profiler was that I was trying to... I was at a client and I was getting really, really sick of, you know, trolling through the logs, getting the SQL statement, pushing that into a, a true SQL beautifier, and then pushing that into SQL so I can actually manage the studio so I could actually see what's going on. And at some point, you know, I already know what is going on, but I have to explain to the, uh, uh, to the people with me so they will be able to follow the logic next time they run into something like that. And at one point, I literally decided, you know what, it's, this is just annoying. I, I bet I could automate this process. So I was actually sitting in the hotel room with a pint of Guinness and trying to do something and seeing if I could actually make this into a workable team. NHPROF, I think, was started on October of 08. And in the 4th of January, uh, 09, we had the beta release. And the really fun part is that in the 2nd of January, 09, we had the fourth sale. Allende can easily bring tears to your eyes if he locks onto your code base and decides to start criticizing, but he can also bring tears of joy with the tools that he creates. I've used his profiles before, and I have to tell you, they are awesome and have saved me so much time, helped me from making some really dumb mistakes. So for a guy whose bite is largely bigger than his bark, Allende is quite helpful. We have an expression in English that is, you will catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. Mm -hmm. Do you have any concern that you might be turning off new programmers with a reputation of being scary? Uh, I'm not sure that I'm following the logic. Everyone has their their public face. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I work consciously at being a nice person and avoiding too much conflict or what I perceive as the wrong kind of conflict mm-hmm. f- for fear that I might make 
the programming, the, the programming world, the programming community uh, less accessible to new people. You know, I want newbies to feel welcome and encouraged. Just as you're not supposed to hit a child, uh, you maybe shouldn't hit an adult. By, <laughs> by cultivating a critical mm -hmm. persona, mm -hmm. do you think that you might make people afraid to use your product? Uh, no, no. Uh, I actually have several problems with that statement. Mm -hmm. The first of them is the assumption of responsibility uh, for my action to the whole uh, programming community. The second problem is that uh, there is another saying, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Uh, and I look at that uh, to the point where, okay, you have some code out there, Either it can be open source, it can be a, a closed source project that I'm going to review or something. It is uh, my responsibility to tell uh, the truth about this piece of code as it, as it stands. It would be dishonest uh, to try to cover it up. Uh, you also have to understand the uh, cultural differences. For the most part, I say what I, I think. I know that in the States, it tends to be much, much more uh, heavily sugar-coated, but uh, I'm sorry, I just don't follow that. I literally have to ask for translation for <laughs> uh, some corporate speak stuff. So, any idea how hard this is? Like, okay, sorry. I think that you're trying to say something here that you aren't saying in the real world. Can you just tell me what you mean? And mm. they keep trying to avoid saying that, uh, saying that directly. Mm. So, Americans adver uh, being adverse to being straight with people for fear that they might hurt their feelings is annoying. So you're saying that the cultural, because your culture is Israeli, you have a culture of, of both openness, but, but also you, you enjoy arguing and you enjoy a critical eye. And you're not too worried about hurting people's feelings because you are telling the truth. The code sucks. You wrote the code. I hope you get better at writing code. I don't think that I actually use the term sucks, at least not for <laughs> open source projects. Well, you have said, you have mm -hmm. said on your blog, uh, uh, hell, pure hell, you said mm -hmm. you've called it uh, the sins. What do you call? Oh this yeah, thing? I like that. the The wages of sin. The wages of sin. Yeah. You know, there's definitely. Uh, let's just say that you are, as an as an American reading your code, mm -hmm. it's it's excellent criticism. It's almost like, um, in America, our most famous uh, film critic is named mm -hmm. Roger Ebert. And okay. he is an extremely kind and well thought of critic, but sometimes when he sees a movie that's just so horrifically bad, he he starts to criticize it, and he gets into the criticism. He kind of wallows in it like a pig in slop, and begins to have a lot of fun with the criticism. When when a movie is so horribly awful, so you know. You have some, some, you've had some criticism where you've said, you know, I would hide this code in a distant, distant corner of my code base. And, you know, are you kidding me? Here's, a, here's an example. Uh, the mental weight of this is literally crashing. 
that's in, that's not just regular criticism. That's that's you're enjoying yourself at that, that point. That gave me a migraine. <laughs> I'm serious. Okay. Yeah. We had to stop, and I had to go and have a drink, and you know, just rest my eyes <laughs> because <laughs> trying to follow that was so complicated. There was a great movie a while back with Adam Sandler. He's the guy who did the the uh, the movie about the Israeli guy. Uh, Zohan. Zohan. Yeah. So he had another one that was called I think it was called Happy Gilmore, and he was in a trip. He was in a trivia contest, mm-hmm. and he was doing like Jeopardy, mm-hmm. and they they he he answered the question, and the guy stared at him and said, "I am stupider, having heard your answer. Like you have." <laughs> You have literally just sitting here. Li- you have yes. you have literally made me a stupider person because you made me listen to that crap. Yeah, I, I use something similar when I'm watching a reality TV. I can literally feel my IQ slipping down. <laughs> so there is a fun. There is fun in criticism, though. I mean, you do. There's something. When, when does it go from being criticism to being tearing, tearing something down because it's just so bad? And, and do you do you ever catch yourself and you say, "I'm yes. writing this blog post and I'm being too mean. I need to I need to back off." Yeah, usually when I'm reviewing a Microsoft project, uh, <laughs> I know that is actually an accurate statement here. Uh, there are times when I actually uh, see something, and I make allowances for open source projects mostly because they're open source, so no one actually uh, uh, pay to do them. But um, if we go to Lightswitch, for example. I'm going to jump in really quickly one more time. If you don't know what Lightswitch is, it's a new offering from Microsoft that essentially is a wizard-driven forms over data generating application. So if you have a database, you can use Lightswitch to work with it. It'll actually generate a form-based application on the web uh, or just basically on the desktop was met with more than a little head-scratching from the development community, especially Oren, who decided to review it, found a few issues with it. So with Lightswitch, I was very annoyed. It literally took me uh, two hours to write five blog posts about different aspects of why this is wrong. Like, not just there is a bug in the way that you're doing something, but you literally ignore basic truths about how to build software, like the fallacies of distributed computing. And uh, those sort of things are really, really annoying. When you have an expectation of one thing and you get something uh, completely different. I had a similar reaction when we're working at um, multiple teams and upstream team uh, for me kept sending me crap. So at that point I sat down and wrote a very, very uh, angry email pointing out that six breaking changes after I have specifically requested don't touch this piece of code is somewhat ridiculous. Uh, and then I just let it sit for a few days until I was uh, calm enough to read it without, uh, you know, and okay, let's tone it down just a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't have to tell them that they are uh, 
morally bankrupt or something like that. But, Intellectually uh, dishonest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think that it was just honestly uh, that that particular team was just lazy. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was really annoying. I don't like to be the, the, the downstream team from someone. It's especially uh, when they, when it is under active development, and the only contract that you can get for them is uh, oh, don't worry, just look at the code. Okay, so that was very annoying. I'm actually trying very hard to avoid uh, going to the uh, morally bankrupt uh, level of criticism. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I can strongly disagree with uh, someone about their professional uh, uh, behavior. So I think that you've made a serious mistake in designing this piece of code like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to disagree about that without carrying that disagreement into a personal level. At least I hope I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the most important aspect of being able to uh, criticize a software without actually uh, uh, taking that criticism to a personal level. Hmm. How important do you think it is when criticizing to balance the criticism with the correctness like you have you had an, you had a post on analyzing data access behavior and you have a tendency to show huge amounts of you like you you'll when you find bad code you paste it in you say look at this like mm-hmm. you know look at it and that is the sound of a database administer administrator dying <laughs> yeah um how important is it to balance that with and here's how it should have been done because I see a lot of criticism, but I don't see a lot of this is how it should have been done. I have 4,700 posts. Mm-hmm. Out of them, roughly 50% are this is how it should be done. Mm. Uh, another issue is that it is actually very hard to uh, give a, a cookie cutter advice. So right now we're writing a sample application for EvenDB, another one. Mm-hmm. And the guy who is writing that, he actually sat down and started, a, you know, structure map, let's do that, let's do that. I stopped him and said, okay, I don't want anything extraneous here. I want to make it simple. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, why? That This is how I build these sort of things. And I told him, yes, but that would uh, distract people from the purpose of this sample application. Hmm. Uh, that is not a decision that I would make if we were building a bigger application, for example. And that would be the decision uh, that I would be making if we were making a, a, a still bigger uh, application or you know, distributed. Uh, we have services, we have web apps, we have mm-hmm. uh, th- those sort of things. So it is actually very, very hard to try to give advice on uh, one size fit all. Have you released a sample application like the the North the Northwind, uh, you know the the Northwind for N Hibernate? The like here's how to do a correct application, like a complete file new project, the whole thing. The problem is that you have to make too many assumptions. For example, 
how do you handle things like uh, services? How do you handle, because here's the problem. When you're talking about, okay, let's do an inhibit application. Well, there isn't that much for inhibiting in Hibernate, uh, uh, let's say we're talking about MVC application. Mm -hmm. Okay, so where do you open and close the session? Done. Okay, that's literally about 15 to 20 lines of code tops. But aren't that, in, isn't that 15 or 20 lines of code that bothers you that you're currently in the process of getting rid of? Absolutely not. What bothers me is uh, different architectural decisions. Uh, for example, I see a lot of people trying to hide that they're using an Hibernate. I should make it clear here that what Oren is talking about is the abstraction of an Hibernate, which is an ORM data access tool that is popular in the Microsoft.net arena. He's not talking about being ashamed of it, although if you were ashamed of using it, I wouldn't blame you. Or was that critical of me? And it invariably ends in pain because they don't get anything from that. They hide in Hibernate features, and then they actually misuse their own API and get some horrible results. It used to be the case that I would come into a, come into a shop, and my work would be to uh, uh, fix up the uh, 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 the implementation of Hibernate. Now my work is okay. Let's look at why I cannot help you. Literally that. Okay? Because, okay, you see this page? This is now 78 calls to the database. I cannot help you because your architecture made it impossible. Because I need to, to touch this piece of code and that piece of code and they are so strongly bricked apart that there is no way for me to actually do anything. So you're literally but, saying that you have gone on consulting gigs and said, I'm sorry, you are doomed? No, I told them, okay, we're going to stop the, the session right now. Here are the things that you need to do for my next session. And let's do them and then we'll continue. And this is usually means let's remove unnecessary layers of abstractions. This usually means that, uh, okay, we need to rethink how we approach this problem, that problem. And you saw, you, you see those three interfaces, kill them. And then bury the body. And then incinerate the place where you bury the body. And maybe nuke them, but that's optional. be so much easier to just rewrite and this is something that I very very much try to avoid but this is uh, this is an application for use in a, in remote location with very bad uh, connections and they decided to use very very strange architecture specifically just to give you an example they have the notion, um, let's say an employee. An employee have salaries. So uh, employees has the salaries uh, collection and salary has employee reference. Now, how would you add a salary to the user, to the employee? 
I would just, you know, employee.salaries.ed or something to that effect. What they have done is to create a manager class where you have a method called add salaries to employee. And it takes an employee and a salary. And inside that method, they call employee.salaries.ed. And I'm like, speechless. Absolutely speechless. I could not figure out what we were doing there. Do you yeah. ever think about how you have the answers and they don't and how that happened? Do you think about when you're teaching, because you, you do training, mm -hmm. you know, you are, mm -hmm. you are a trainer, you're a coach, you are their helper. Why are they wrong? Again, there is the aspect of being an expert in a specific field. If you ask me to build a UI using jQuery, I assume that I will make something that will make most people cry. Okay? Um, but in the field of uh, data access, I have years and years and years of uh, building a framework, building an application, doing a, a, a hundreds of code reviews, uh, being exposed to many, many situations in this specific field. It, it is the same, it, it, it is in the same sense that you go to an eye doctor and you ask him if he thinks that a pediatrician is ignorant because he doesn't understand about eyes. Or he understands very little about eyes. So you were those people too once? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, just, you can literally go through my blog and look at some of the different things that I've been doing. I'm looking back and saying, oh my God, I did it very, very wrong. Did Allende just admit he was wrong in the past? Impossible. In all seriousness, the person that admits they are wrong, well, they tend to be the wise ones we learn from our failures. And if you have a chance to read Allende's blog, it is up at Allende, A-Y-E-N-D-E dot com forward slash blog. He's got a lot of good insights in there. And if you enjoy the sight of digital blood, well, there's plenty on the walls when he has decided to criticize various projects. Many thanks to Oren for talking to us today. someone else get criticized yeah it's kind of fun entertaining especially when you're watching Allende do it what happens when it's directed at you we've all been on the receiving end of some tough criticism I'm sure I know I have well, we talked to G. Andrew Duffy Microsoft evangelist well, who found himself on the wrong side of the criticism stick 
as a developer evangelist for Microsoft, um, I do a lot of speaking. I, I talk to a lot of people. Uh, I've been speaking professionally for probably about a dozen years now. So you would think that communication would be just one of those things that I'd have down pat. sing in one of my church groups and um, there was a time when I was I was talking after after mass with one of my uh, fellow scholar mates who gave me a really nice compliment on my interpretation of the psalm for that for that day and I started feeling really good about it you know he's complimenting me I'm feeling good about you know how I did and all of that and then he follows up with but it's not you sort of pulled me up really short um, because, you know, here I was feeling tickled about this compliment, but he was right. Um, and, and, it, and he didn't say it to be mean or anything. I mean, he said it um, in a sense as a way to remind me that, um, you know, what I, what I had and what I was doing was really a gift that I was given. And it, and it, but it took me some time to kind of absorb that uh, because it was almost shocking. approval um, we like to you know we like to have that approval I'm sometimes uh, similarly capable of, of doling out the criticism or uh, you know pulling somebody else up short and sometimes uh, it can be easy to do that in a way that gets misinterpreted um, I remember a time when uh, I was having some interactions with folks on Twitter and uh, I said some things about the software craftsmanship movement and uh, I was trying to make a point about the fact that a lot of the things that we talk about in that in that movement um, have really been around for a while under other names I think I ended up actually using the word fad or something like that and uh, came across as being dismissive and sort of ruffled some feathers Sometimes a simple act of just asking a question or maybe challenging an opinion can open up some wounds in people. You never know. Communicating is a tough business and it's made even harder by the distant connections we have using Twitter and Facebook and so on. There might be cultural barriers. You might be coming up against well, someone's history that you just don't understand. The words you use well, could offend them deeply. Even if you're trying to just help out. Maybe give them a little bit of advice. Or doing a podcast, trying to make people happy. We're going to bring this next story home. We got some criticism on our last podcast, the one about Egypt and revolt, and it caught both Scott and I off guard. So rather than get upset or turn away, I sent our next storyteller, Boris Pavlovitz, sent him an email and said, Dude, what did you mean? And in return, I learned a lesson. Boris gave us this story. 
Whenever a new episode of This Developer's Life is published, I listen to it immediately. This was not a case with the last one. It just made me angry. I gave up a few minutes before its end. A few days later, I saw a tweet from a guy stating that, although not a fan of the podcast, he loved the episode. I used his tweet, inverted his words, and said that, although a big fan, I think the last episode was crap. Twitter can be a dangerous place when you're looking for feedback on something that you're doing. Same with the anonymous blog comment. I generally take those things with a grain of salt, but I will admit, Boris's comment caught me a little bit off guard. So before we get to Boris's story, I kind of want to set some context here. And in a bit of a personal note, the last episode of This Developer's Life, the Revolt episode where we went to Egypt, well, I felt that was one of the coolest things that we've done, and it's one of the neatest things I've ever been a part of. I figured that Scott really nailed the interviews and really brought the best out of the people we talked to. Now, I know not everyone enjoys this podcast. They don't like the music. or There's other things they don't enjoy, and that's fine. But when someone goes out of their way to say something quite fierce, like it's crap, I don't know, there's something inside me that needed to know why. I wasn't offended. I wasn't upset. It just caught me off guard. And I thought to myself, there's energy there. There's some emotion. What's going on? So I reached out to Boris, and he was kind enough to talk to me. And that's what you're about to hear now. Just a few hours later, a bunch of people hit me with questions. Why did I say that? And this was a complete twist for me. I had to think hard and look deeply in my reaction and formulate myself in 140 characters. Well, the episode resonated with similar experience that had after the ouster of Serbian President Milosevic from power 11 years ago. When I was talking to Boris, I quickly realized that I might have stepped in something that I didn't intend to step into. Boris is from Serbia. He's been through his own revolution, although the outcome was just a little bit different than that of Egypt's. No wonder there's a little bit of emotion there. We all thought that we overthrew the regime and very soon realized that only its front man was removed. Agony continued at a lower level. After only two and a half years, the main driver and the bearer of changes, Prime Minister Jinjic, was assassinated. I think that similar things happened in Egypt, and the present euphoria will eventually be replaced by disappointment. Disappointment in the changes that are not fully performed. I realized that the episode on Egypt differs from others in its nature. It was coverage on a political event from the position of a fellow programmer. And reports like this one deserve the highest praise. My problem is that this developer's life has become a collection of essays made to have a longer shelf life. All previous and hopefully all future episodes will be relevant for a couple of years or even decades, but I'm not sure for the last one. try to stay clear of sensitive topics and sensitive areas in the podcast. And I think it's safe to say, based on Boris's reaction and that of others, that we ventured into a territory that is a little more prone to bias than your typical technology discussion. It would have been easy for us to disregard Boris's comment, but there is something there. And sometimes, when you tackle criticism, you learn something about yourself, 
about what it is you're doing, that's not all. Sometimes the person giving the criticism learns something about themselves too. When you hit me with those questions, actually I'm, I'm going through these uh, situations almost every day with my wife. I would say something, you know, and then she would feel hurt, but then she's much smarter, you know, and, and much more wise than me. And she would come after me asking me for to, to describe what I was thinking about that. And then, you know, this whole process of reflection and thinking about what, why I did say that, you know. And sometimes I come up uh, with a revelation. Uh, I find something about myself, you know, I, I discover why I was feeling like that or and sometimes, you know, I just I just uh, behave plain stupid <laughs> because of tiredness or, or anything else, you know, and this was one of those r rare moments with, when I was, you know, pushed to go deep and, and to find something and to uh, give a meaningful explanation uh, to all this issue. <laughs> given my share of harsh criticism over time. It was some of the best times I've ever done it when the other person sits down and looks at me and says, go ahead, I'm listening. I really care about what you have to say. It's at that point when I realize that they're being sincere. And I think to myself, you know, I could have said that in a much more respectful way. But would it have had the same effect? I mean, that's what I asked Boris next. We wouldn't be programmers. We would be developers if we were such an extrovert, you know, <laughs> knowing everything about ourselves and then clearly having an introspection of our current state of emotions or politicians. Politics? No thanks. Isn't that what got us here in the first place? I think I'll leave that to Hanselman. My sincere thanks to Boris Pavlovitz for taking the time to talk to me. It was based on his sharp criticism that this entire show was created. Thanks, Boris. You inspired us. I got my head, but my head is unraveling. Can't keep control, can't keep track of where it's traveling. I got my heart, but my heart's no good. And you're the only one. And again, a big thank you to the folks at Code Rush for Visual Studio for helping support this developer's life. Code Rush has the fastest rename, the fastest find all references, fastest test runner. When it comes to creating, modifying, and refactoring code, nothing's faster than Code Rush. It's been on my ultimate power tools list since forever. Get Code Rush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash Code Rush. We appreciate their support. Uh, and I watch you!